All right, good morning. Um, you could turn my mic down considerably. That'd be great. If you have a Bible, uh, if you could open up to 1 Corinthians, that's what we're going to continue in today. If you're joining us online, I saw actually a lot more people online than normal today. I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining as well. And I um, want to thank you if you are parents for being patient with us as we are getting our kids' wing remodeled. We thought it would be open this weekend, but no, um, not yet. All the painting downstairs is done, and this week we're getting all new flooring. And so it's going to be even, we actually had brand new carpet downstairs, and then it flooded. And so now we're getting brand new carpet again, and um, some other nice flooring down there as well. So very excited to have kids back and running. I um, want to remind you too, we do have kids ministry downtown from three years or three months old to four years old. And on March 3rd, when we start our downtown services that are not worship nights, but just regular services, um, we'll continue to expand our kids ministry downtown as there's some super nice kids space there. If you haven't seen it yet, um, come on a Saturday at six and uh, ask one of us to show you the kids space as it's incredibly nice, uh, really cool space. And downstairs is going to be really great when it's done also. I know Spencer talked about transitioning from winter to spring, and uh, with that, Easter is coming up, and this year Easter is a little bit early. It's on March 31st. Easter doesn't fall on the same Sunday or same date every year. I sure wish it did, but uh, March 31st is Easter this year, and we are prepping for an Easter egg hunt, and so if you would... um, if you or someone in your family lays eggs, if you could start doing that diligently um, over the next couple of weeks, we need a lot. So if you could, um, we need you to lay about 10,000 eggs actually is what, what is needed. So if you want to either donate some money to our Easter fund for us to buy eggs and candy, or if you would like to bring plastic eggs and candy in order to um, have those brought so we can stuff them, we, we need a lot of eggs. Or if you want to lay some and bring them, you can do that as well. And we'll give you some details on some of our Easter activities coming up soon, but we're calling our Easter services over the next couple years just this idea of new because springtime kind of represents everything being brand new. So last week, uh, we we talked about the Apostle Paul. We talked about him um, around the year 50 AD traveling to the city of Corinth in ancient Greece When he arrives, he meets a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who are Jews that have just been exiled from Rome. They're probably Christians when he meets them. We don't know for certain. But Paul, with Aquila and Priscilla, while Paul is there on his second missionary journey to preach the gospel, they are making tents together. They all had a common trade. This is how they were supporting themselves He was going into the synagogue and preaching the gospel, trying to persuade the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. He was run out of the synagogue. He moves next door to a house and continues to preach the gospel from there. Eventually, one of the synagogue leaders was converted to Christ. His name was Sosthenes. Um, Further down the road, another one of the leaders of the synagogues named Crispus, he was converted to Jesus as well. And Paul, even though he was facing some hardships, Jesus uh, appeared to him in a dream and said, continue to stay in the city, continue to be steadfast, preaching the gospel. There are many people in this city, Jesus says, who are mine. And so Paul stays in Corinth for one and a half years. He would stay for one and a half years, eventually leave. Aquila and Priscilla would leave. Paul would go on a couple journeys. And then on his third missionary journey, he would go to the city of Ephesus in modern day Turkey, 
and Aquila and Priscilla ended up being there as well, where they had a church in Ephesus, and Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years. And while Paul was in Ephesus for this three years, he starts to receive some bad reports from the city of Corinth and from the Christians in the church in the city of Corinth. And so Paul writes them a letter. And if Paul writes your church a letter, it's, it's usually not a good thing. So Paul writes them a letter, and, and he's telling them about his concerns he has for their sexual immorality. He sends the letter, and it doesn't take a day to get there. It probably takes like a month for this letter to arrive. And after some time, someone from Corinth comes and visits Ephesus and was like, hey, Paul, the church in Corinth, they got your letter, and they're confused. They don't understand everything that you wrote to them about. And so some time passes, and Corinth sends Paul another letter. He gets the letter, and in this letter is all the tea about the city of Corinth. And if, if you are over the age of 30, um, tea means gossip. And that's why our series is called Spill the Tea. Spilling the tea is spreading, giving people the down low. It's giving people gossip. It's spilling the tea. So people are writing letters to Paul, spilling the tea on the city of Corinth, and telling them all the other things that are going on. And they start asking Paul all these questions because not only do they not understand his first letter, there's a lot of issues going on. So Paul receives the letter, realizes that things are not so great in Corinth, and so he writes his second letter to Corinth, addressing all of the gossip, all of the problems, all of the concerns, addressing all the questions that the Christians in Corinth had. And we call that letter, we call Paul's second letter, we call it First Corinthians, and it's this book we have in the New Testament of the Bible. And as you read it, just remember, it is a letter. So Paul writes this letter, and he writes it with the man who was converted to Christianity from the synagogue, Sosthenes, is there in Ephesus with Paul. And Sosthenes and Paul write the letter to Corinth. And last week, we read the introduction to the letter, which was just essentially grace and, what was the other word? Peace. Yeah, grace and peace. Paul always was wishing people grace and peace. And so today, and over the next 10 or 11 weeks, taking a break for Easter, we're going to be going through this book, and we're going to look at this book by theme, by topic, by category, because this is a letter. It's not intended to be a book. We have it in book form in the scriptures. And so Paul, if you've read Paul before, he kind of goes all over the place, all over the time. And so there's not a consecutive linear way of thinking in this letter. He, he's bringing up issues as the pen is flowing, as he's writing this letter. Actually, I think Sosthenes is probably the one writing while Paul is dictating. And he goes all over the place. And there's about 10 topics we're going to look at. Um, but we're going to start with the first topic that Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which is um, simply division and, and conflict. Conflict and division are the issues that he brings up first. And before we open up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I, I want to look at a passage of scripture from John 13. John 13, about 20 years before Paul would write 1 Corinthians, um, Jesus is telling his disciples something incredibly important in John 13 verse 34. Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. Love is incredibly important. 
God is love. Because God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Love is the marker of Christianity. It is the marker of our faith. And Christians will not be known by our love for the world, although like God the Father, we are to love the world so much that we would preach the truth to the world, but we're actually to be known by our love for each other, by the love that brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ show to one another. And if you read the book of Acts at the beginning of the church, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, you can see how well the church did loving each other selling all their needs and possessions until no one had need. At the end of Acts 2, it says, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved because of the love that this community had for each and every one. So I would propose to you that love and unity is incredibly important within the church of Jesus Christ. And a question I have for you is this, if you could ponder this question to yourself. What's your experience with this? What is your experience of loving other Christians? What is your experience of other Christians showing love to you? Within the church, what have you observed? Within the church of Jesus Christ, what have you lived out? In this church, what's been your experience? In other churches you've been a part of, what's your experience of this idea of love and unity within the church? Um, I can share without any doubt that some of the most beautiful selfless acts of love some of the greatest acts of humility and service i've ever witnessed i have witnessed in the church god's church the bride of jesus the body of christ it is so beautiful when it's working in unity when it's working properly and when it's following the spirit isn't it isn't it a wonderful thing some of the greatest things i've seen But I can also, on the same hand, I can also say some of the most vile things, some of the most horrible things, some of the most evil things, some of the most selfish things I've ever witnessed, I've also witnessed in the church. I've seen things in the church that have given it a wonderful reputation and given the church a wonderful name, and I've seen things in the church that have given it a bad reputation and a bad name. I've seen things in the church that have reflected horribly on Christ, on Christianity, and on the body of Christ as a whole. And I won't ask you, like, how many of you would agree, because if you've been around the block a couple of times, I think you could agree on both things. You've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. But here's something I'd like you to know today. It's this. Here's something I've learned. That wherever there is church, there will be problems. How many of you agree with that? Wherever there is church, there will be problems. Here's something else I've learned, that wherever there are people, there will be problems. How many of you have learned that? Um, It's funny how we leave our jobs, we leave our universities, we leave our churches, we leave our neighborhoods because of how we've been treated, and usually wherever we end up, we end up being treated the same way. Wherever there are people, there are problems, and this is why there will always be problems in the church, because there will always be people in the church. And wherever there are people, there are problems. How many of you, by a show of hands, I I agree with these statements. Like, wherever there's people, there will be problems. And I want you to know, before you start pointing judgmental fingers at other people, that you are a people too. You're the problem. We're all the problem, aren't we? Wherever there's people, there is problems. So it is common for there to be problems in the church. It is very common for there to be problems with people. But just because something is common doesn't make something right. 
Just because something is common doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for obedience. Just because something is common doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for unity, community, shouldn't strive for love. Just because something like division and conflict is common, it doesn't mean that it's not possible to overcome those things. Just because people and people that are problems are common, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to repair, reconcile, forgive, heal, and make restitution when these problems inevitably arise. And so I I believe it was um, at the hand of the great theologian uh, Puff Daddy. He said, the more money we come across, the more problems we see, right? Spencer shared that in his tithe and offering talk. How many of you wish you made less money so this wasn't true? Amen. Like, I just wish we had less money so there was less problems, right? But the, the issue is not money, is it? The issue is it comes down to people. It comes down to sin. It comes down to the human heart. And so with all this in mind, would you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 with me? We're, we're going to look at portions of verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, um, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 6. We, of course, aren't going to read through all these today, so be reading and studying 1 Corinthians, as Spencer shared a moment ago, um, as I'm going to be um, plucking some verses in context out of these chapters to look at what Paul is trying to share with us today because Paul is brilliant, but Paul is hard to follow, okay? Following Paul is like following a roller coaster upside down and backwards and all the way around. It can get a little confusing. So let's try to ride this coaster together today. So let's look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, united in the same mind and the same judgment. How many of you are like, this is us, we agree on everything. This is my family. We agree on everything. Um, I think we can all agree that country music sucks. Amen? Uh, Amen. I think we, uh, we could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? We don't agree. We can all agree on voting for the same candidate. We can all agree on the same team. We can all agree on whether or not we like Taylor Swift. We're all in agreement on all these things, right? We're not. The, the church is never going to agree on things that, that are important. Th- those things don't matter. Paul's not saying you guys have to like the same kind of food. You've got to like to go to the same swimming hole in the Mediterranean. You've got to like the same kind of music. What Paul is saying is let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be of one mind. Let's be in unity about Jesus Christ and his mission. Verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. I think I'm going to get next week a red flag to wave when red flags come up in in 1 Corinthians, okay? There's a red flag in case you missed it. He says, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. If there is an individual that has their own people, red flag. Chloe's like, these are my people, Paul. This is my group within the church. This is our sect. This is our clique. And we're the good ones, and everybody else in the church is not so good we want to actually spill the tea on them because our tea's never been spilled before. So I've heard from Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Jesus. He's saying you guys are picking favorites. You're choosing 
which pastors you want to listen to, which ones you want to follow, which ones you don't. If this guy is speaking, we're not going to listen. If this guy is speaking, we'll listen to him. If this guy starts a church, we're going to go with him and leave this church that we already started. And that's causing a lot of division. Paul says, is, is Jesus Christ divided? Was Paul, was, was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, were you baptized in my name? What Paul is letting these guys know is, in case you guys don't know, it's not about me. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about this celebrity speaker, Apollos. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you ever doubt the authenticity of the Bible, read with me verse 14 and 16. And Paul says this. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus. That was the second um, synagogue leader that's converted i didn't baptize anybody and he's like wait a minute i did baptize crispus oh and gaius as well and as we've been talking about names for boys my i suggest gaius um verse 15 he says i don't want anyone to say that you were baptized in my name this shows that scripture is is authentic sosthenes writing down what Paul's saying. Paul's like, actually, hold up a minute. Parenthes- Could you put a parenthesis, Sosthenes? Because I actually did baptize the household of Stephanus. Uh, beyond that, I don't know whether or not I baptized anybody else. So he's literally thinking. He's dictating. Sosthenes is writing. This is real time. We're hearing the thoughts of Paul. And Paul's memory is like, wait a minute. I did baptize Stephanus' family as well. How many of you grew up watching Days of Our Lives with Stefano? Um, Stefano is the great, 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 great grandson of Stephanus in the city of Corinth. And you thought that Salem and Days of Our Lives was a bad man. You should have seen Corinth. So verse 17, I grew up with sisters and a mom and an, an elderly woman who babysat me all the time. And we watched Days of Our Lives. So Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, because if I were here just to speak with words of eloquent wisdom, then the cross of Christ could be emptied of its power. So verse 17, where Paul's like, guys, I wasn't here to show off. I wasn't here to say I was all that because I'm not. This is all about the cross of Christ and its power. And it's in verse 17 that these next three chapters start to take a lot of shape and where Paul gets to the heart of the matter. It is not about his skills. It is not about his gifts, his abilities. It's not about anybody else's gifts or abilities. It is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, this is where we get this verse in context. Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I came to you guys, that's what was important to me was Christ and him crucified. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter, but Jesus. You see, anything good that happened in Corinth is a result of and is attributed to Jesus Christ. Not Paul, not Peter, not Aquila, not Priscilla, not Apollos, not anybody else. It is Christ's power. It is not Apollos preaching. Talented, persuasive, feel-good preachers may be able to grow large churches, but is the church built on Christ or not? Is the church built on Jesus or a celebrity? Is the church built on Jesus Christ or is it built on a tradition? What foundation are we building our churches on? Paul's like, guys, I know that we might be superstars in your eyes, but we're just normal, messed up people like you. We're calling you to Jesus, not to ourselves. You see, there's no boasting in the kingdom of God, is there? 1 Corinthians 1.31, 1 
Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How many of you ever see people like um, humble boasting or, or humble bragging? It's like, I thank God every day that I'm so humble. I'm like, uh, I don't think that's how that works. Or, I, you know, I, I just want to show off all the stuff I have, all the houses I have, all the cars I have, all the boats I have. And, and there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but are you flaunting nice things or are you stewarding nice things? Are you giving credit of those nice things to Jesus Christ or your hard work? What, what is it? Because if you're going to boast, you need to boast in the Lord. You see, God has a tendency of using people the world thinks are foolish. God has a tendency of using people that have nothing to boast in themselves. God has a tendency to use people to preach the gospel that the world thinks is foolish. So 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How many of you, the cross of Christ is the power of God this morning? It is to me because we're being saved. But if you have not yet submitted your life to Jesus Christ, it seems foolish. God sent his son to die and that saves us? Absolutely, that's what saves us. God uses the things that seem like they are not to bring about the things that are, 2 Corinthians says. So God uses things the world says are foolish to accomplish his purpose. But it's those who get caught up in the who's who. It's those who pick sides of who their favorite leader is. It's those who segregate themselves from others and from cliques under themselves. It's those who stir up jealousy. It's those who stir up strife. They do this because they're living according to what Paul says is their flesh. They have their minds set on things of the flesh. They're walking in the flesh. Paul says anything that's not of Jesus, it, it's of the world, it's of the flesh. Romans 8, let's, let's go to what Paul writes to the Romans later on. Romans 8 verse 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Christians, followers of Jesus, those who are being saved, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so if those who are causing the division and the conflict in the church are Christians, if they are believers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.1, it's only because they're babies in Christ, they're infants. They've only been fed milk, not solid food. And whether or not these are believers or they are unbelievers living in the flesh causing these problems, the division is caused because they are behaving in a human way. That's what Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 3. You guys are just behaving human. You guys, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, you're just behaving in a natural way. God's calling you to behave in a spiritual way. And those who focus on these things, these natural things, these human things, these fleshly things, they only focus on the wisdom of this world. The works of human authors are what they look at and not the work of the Holy Spirit. They're looking for the people that have the most impressive skills and powerful orators, powerful debaters. They're looking for worldly things and measures of success and measures of prosperity. Those who boast... They're focusing on how they can boast and those who boast, and it just is a mess. And, and I'm here to teach the Bible, but I'm also a pastor, and I, I want to give a couple pastoral cautions as we're reading through 1 Corinthians. One is this. If, um, if you feel God's called you into ministry, 
or if you're in ministry of some kind, uh, I said earlier that the word Chloe's people is a red flag. I want to tell you about another red flag if you want to be in ministry. Watch out for people in your churches that come to you and butter you up and tell you that you're the greatest youth pastor, the greatest worship leader, the greatest pastor that they've ever had. Those are the first people that will turn on you, period. Watch out for people who think that you are all that and something more. Watch out for people that said, Pastor, I've listened to every message you've ever spoke, and I spent the last two months going through your podcast and listening to everything you ever said. When I was a young minister, I was like, that's amazing. And now I'm like, that's creepy. That's terrifying. Listen to me. It's not those who puff you up that are actually your greatest supporters. It is those who are the most real with you, the most loving for you, and it is those who will be with you when you go through hell. Those are your real friends. Those are your real supporters. Those are people that you want by your side. And because I'm a pastor, I want to give some pastoral advice to everybody else. Be cautious to the people you listen to. Because this church in Corinth, they were all about, I listen to Apollos. Paul's okay, but Apollos is a better speaker. Uh, Apollos is a really good speaker, but man, Peter's a lot more spiritual. Man, um, I really like Aquila a lot more than Priscilla because he brings a better word than his wife does. Be cautious about this. There are voices in our world today, there are voices in our nation today that I see some of you because I see it in real time and I hear you talk to me that, that you just assume that there are conservative voices in the world today. You actually assume they're Christians and they're not. Just because someone is conservative, just because someone has good ideas, you can listen to those good ideas. It does not mean they're saved. It does not mean that they are Christians. And so be cautious who you listen to. They might be for some good things and stand for some good things, but we are called to focus on God's word and we are called to follow those that God has put in charge and in lead of us within our churches and not just people that we don't even know that we listen to on YouTube. Be careful. Be careful because you don't know them. You don't know what they're saying. You're like, oh, but they say they're a Christian. Actually, this person is a Mormon, not a Christian. They say they're a Christian. Oh, no, they're real spiritual. I'm not so sure if they're Christian. Be cautious, church. I could name names. I won't today. If you want to know, Pastor, are you talking about all that you know, yes or no? Um, let's continue. The division in this church is caused because people are not behaving in a spiritual way. It's because they're not walking in and by the Spirit. They're not able to discern things by the Spirit of God. They're not yet mature. They, they haven't experienced very much sanctification in their life. A lot of times, division and conflict happens because the people who are causing the division and the conflict have yet to experience testing in their own faith. They've yet to experience being refined in fire, and so they just don't have experience, and they think that they're all that. They think they know everything, and they want everybody else to know it, and it creates division and conflict. So let's jump to chapter 6. Chapter 6, Paul gets back into his teaching, tirade, whatever you want to call it, on the division within the church. And he's like, oh, by the way, I know we talked about division and conflict earlier, but I also have heard that a lot of you are defrauding each other. I, I've also heard that there's a lot of believers committing wrongdoing to other believers and committing fraud. And, and I hear that some of you guys are actually suing each other. That's not marked by love, is it? So he tells them, not only should you not be divided in such a way, you shouldn't defraud one another, you shouldn't wrong each other, you also shouldn't be suing each other. 
if at all possible. The reason is, is he says, you guys should be able to decide such matters among yourselves. And if you need to, bring in the church and its leaders, but don't leave quarrels and divisions within the church to a worldly court system. You can't bring spiritual things into a worldly court system and expect that those things be addressed. What Paul is saying is these court systems are of this world. They're not a part of the kingdom of God. And this is no way for the world to know that you are disciples. You're supposed to show your love for each other, not sue each other. Because what it's doing is it's giving the church a bad rap. It's giving the church a bad name. It reflects poorly on Jesus. It reflects poorly on Christians. And it gives the world no reason to want to be a part of the church if the church is acting just like the world. Now, clarifying, it doesn't mean you shouldn't use court system. If there's a crime, God has ordained court systems for us to seek justice for crimes through court systems. It doesn't mean it's never inappropriate to sue on certain things, but we probably shouldn't be seeking to be wealthy because something insignificant has happened to us, and so we want to sue someone for it. That's not what the body of Christ is all about, especially if it's within the church. If someone within the church has defrauded you, bring it up to the leaders of the church and let's see if we can work it out and then let's send it to the proper authorities if that's what's needed to be done. But don't give each other a bad name. So what's 1 Corinthians all about? God's calling these Christians to a higher standard. The Corinthian church is not living up to his standard. And so Paul is telling them in this letter that it's time to start living by the Spirit of God. It's time to start moving toward the standards of God. You see, division and conflict and problems are common. Division and conflict in the church are common with people. They're common especially in the church. And Paul thinks this is so important that he spends portions of three chapters in this letter telling the church that they're too focused on focusing what the world focuses on especially in regards to people and that when we focus on what the world focuses on it produces division and conflict whereas the church is actually called to be unified but keeping that in mind and keeping your mind focused on spiritual things paul tells them guys walk by the spirit let God sanctify you. Let God mature you. Focus on spiritual growth. And if you focus on spiritual things and not worldly things, it will help prohibit conflict and division if it arises, and it can also help resolve it. Now, if we wanted to just be very surface level today, and if you guys just came here to be happy, I would say, all right, guys, everybody leave. Quit thinking worldly and just start thinking spiritual things. Let's go. But that's not good enough, is it? It's not, because that's just, that's just vague. Guys, just be spiritual. Come on. Quit being fleshly. I want to zoom in and make this a little bit more practical as we wrap up our time today. Worldly thinking, behaving in a human way, like Paul says, living in the flesh, he's made it very clear, that's what leads to conflict, to division, and to arrogance. But it's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more layered. It's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot deeper than that. And if you're taking notes, this is the time to take out your paper or the notes on your phone. Here are the parts of your flesh that cause division and conflict. Here is the part of our human experience that caused division and conflict. Here is how I act in fleshly, human, worldly ways, and you do too, that cause conflict and division. Um, number one is this. Write this down. 
Past relational wounds. Past relational wounds cause conflict and division. You say, well, why is that? Because we have a tendency of becoming triggered when somebody who is well-meaning says or does something in a way that reminds us of someone who has hurt us before. And then we put up our red flags, we put up our shields, and we put on our armor, and we don't allow ourselves to open up to that person because they remind us too much of another person. How many of you are godly in here and that's never happened to you before? If it hasn't, it will. It absolutely will. Your past relational wounds will cause division and conflict in your workplace or your school or your church and especially in your house. Number two, unprocessed trauma. That's a kind of a cliche, popular thing to say right now, but it's very true. Many of us have experienced trauma. We can't weigh one person's trauma versus another because certain things are traumatizing to some and not to others. And if you have not process the trauma that's been done to you or that you have encountered, you will inevitably cause trauma on other people. You will inevitably cause division and conflict because you have a trauma going on inside of your heart that you've never dealt with before. And you might think that compartmentalizing it and not thinking about it is healing you, but it's actually making you sicker. You need to process. You need to heal. You need to talk. You need to walk in the light. You need to confess. Number three, um, failed or broken attachments in your childhood from parents and guardians is probably the number one cause of conflict and division. Maybe someone had a, a father leave when they were a child. Maybe someone's mother left as an infant. Maybe Maybe you tragically lost a grandparent that was your caregiver when you were a toddler. There's all sorts of godly types of attachments we are supposed to form with our mothers and fathers and caregivers. And because we live in a broken world, oftentimes those attachments never form or they're broken and severed radically and quickly. And it leaves us with what we call now and know as attachment disorders. These things must be healed. These things must be worked through. And you can say, well, I've worked through it because now I'm attached to Jesus. Amen. I'm grateful you're attached to Jesus, but Jesus wants you to heal from what is broken. Jesus wants you to be free from what holds you in bondage. And so you need to ask yourself, have I had moments in my life where attachments were broken that God put in my life that were supposed to be there and now they're severed? And oh, I'm really experiencing a lot of division with others and it's because I am unhealed. Number four, unforgiven hurts. Someone has hurt you before and you have not forgiven them. Someone has hurt you before and you have not forgiven them. Pastor, I don't need to forgive them. I forgot them. No, you don't. You can't forget, actually. You need to forgive. Jesus says if we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. When we carry around unforgiveness, it will cause us to cause conflict and division everywhere we go because we're carrying around something that Jesus Christ died for that we don't even have to carry and we're never meant to carry. We are called to forgive. And is forgiveness easy? No way. But with God, all things are possible. Some of you have to make the conscious decision and speak cautious words out of your mouth that you forgive someone and I believe your heart will follow. You can't make your heart forgive, but you can make a decision to forgive. And lest you forgive, you're going to start causing division. Number five, unhealed wounds 
been wounded before, been hurt before, gone through something traumatic, you've never healed from it before, you've never overcome it before, the Lord is our healer. God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you where other people have hurt you. God wants to bind the wounds that other people have afflicted. God wants to heal your heart that sometimes you wound yourself. We must be healed from the wounds that we experience in this life if we want to break free and if we want to walk forward in unity with brothers and sisters. I'm losing count. I think it's number seven. Ungrieved losses. Maybe some of you have had a dear friend that's abandoned you. Some of you have had a, a spouse walk out on you, or some of you had a dear loved one who, who's literally died and you've never grieved that loss. I just got to keep going. I got to keep functioning. I got to keep working. I got to keep buying stuff. I got to keep eating. I got to keep going. If you keep going and going and going and going and going without grieving, after a while you're not going to be able to go anymore. And you're going to cause division and conflict where you go because you've never grieved the losses. And if you're not careful, you'll start inflicting that on other people, which leads us to the last one is this, transference. Because it's past relational wounds that cause division and conflict, what we do is we transfer our feelings that we have towards others on someone else. Have you ever like lashed out at someone before and you were like, wait a minute, what did I just do? And that person, probably your spouse, was like, excuse me, I'm not the one who did this to you as a kid. I'm not the one who did this. I, I, I'm here for you to help you, but you don't get to lash out on me because you're hurt. We, we transfer our pains onto other people. Other people transfer their pains onto us. Some of you are in positions of authority or power. Maybe you're a supervisor, a business owner, a manager, a pastor, a teacher. Guess what? You represent failed relationships with moms and dads. And people will take things out on you that seemingly make absolutely no sense, but it's because they are working through traumatic experiences they maybe had with their father on you, their teacher. Or they're working out traumatic experiences they had with their mother on you, their supervisor. Or they're working out traumatic experience that they had with their father, their boss, and other pastors on their pastor. How many of you like, I think I've been here before? Or I think I've done it before? You see, it's bitterness that causes division. It is insecurity that causes conflict. It is jealousy that causes division. And Paul brings that up in these chapters. And they all result from the things that we just went over. Bitterness, jealousy, insecurity. And when it's all said and done, division and conflict, they are done as a result of immaturity. People who are immature emotionally, immature relationally, immature spiritually. You say, but pastor, it looks like you're putting all the blame on people. A little bit, yeah. But listen to this. The enemy, the devil. The enemy loves to use all of these things to infiltrate the church. The devil loves to use these things to bring division. The devil loves to use these things to bring conflict. Well, why is that, pastor? It's because the devil wants to steal the church's unity. It's because the devil wants to kill the church's effectiveness. It is because the devil wants to destroy the church's reputation. It's because the devil wants to devour the church's youth. And sadly, we've let him. The devil wants to devour the church's youth. The devil loves to devour the church's leaders. And man, he does. And the devil loves to devour the people that church was about to reach right before all this broke out. Let's say that again. 
The devil loves to use all of our stuff to devour the people the church was about to reach before it hit the fan. Think about the missed opportunities that we have because we allow conflict and division to break us apart. You see, we have a real spiritual enemy, don't we? We have a real spiritual enemy. And though we take part in division and though we bear responsibility in our conflict, we must be aware that we ultimately do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We, you and I, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Division and conflict is a spiritual issue. It's not our ego. It is not our wealth. It is not our popularity. It is not our prosperity. It is not our success. It is not our comfort that division and conflict poses the greatest threat to. Division and conflict poses the greatest threat to our unity, to our testimony, to our love, and to the body of Christ. And so, in context, this is the second last verse we'll read. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. Reading this verse out of context, which we usually do, reading this verse out of context, we think Paul is talking about this. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is true, but it's not what he's talking about. The entire chapter and the chapter before that and the chapter six to come, the temple of God filled with the Holy Spirit in Paul's context to the Corinthian church is not the individual within the church. It is the church as a whole. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do you not know that you, Corinth, that you, free church, that you, American evangelical church, do you not know that you, Christian church, that you're God's temple? Do you not know, church, that God's Spirit dwells within you? And if anyone destroys the church... God will destroy him. For God's church is holy, and you are the church. Why would we break each other down? Why would we divide one another? Why would we inflict conflict on God's temple? You see, God takes causing division in his church very seriously, and so should we. So when you're faced with division, when you're faced with conflict, what do you do? Well, brother, you just pray and you keep going throughout your day. Amen. I believe prayer is important. But it's more complicated than that, isn't it? I want to end our time today just looking quickly. We're going to breeze through five things that you can do when conflict arises. Conflict will arise, so take notes. Number one, when conflict arises, when someone is causing division, the most important thing, please remember, that person is not your enemy. That person is not your enemy. The devil and his forces are your enemy. So what do you do? If, if, if they're not our enemy, what do we do? Well, we stand firm. When we've done everything to stand, stand therefore. What do you do? You take up the full armor of God. You get ready to fight a spiritual battle, not a battle in the flesh. What do you do? You resist the devil because the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when faced with conflict, the one you are having conflict with is not your enemy. Number two, show grace and seek peace. That sounds like last week. Show grace and seek peace. Remember 
that the person causing conflict is dealing with a lot. Every person that you interact with has a story to tell. Every person that you have experienced before has experienced a whole lot of stuff before. You don't know what you're dealing with or who you are dealing with when you're dealing with people. Be gracious with people because people carry a lot of wounds. You don't know what they've experienced. Well, pastor, they chose to be homeless and a drug addict. No, they didn't. Who, who wakes up and chooses that? No one. No one. It's because of things that they have experienced and encountered and they did not have the hope in Jesus Christ that they needed at a time when it was most pivotal. Remember, they're dealing with so many things. And also remember, as you're showing grace and peace, that they may be, if they claim to be a Christian, they may be at a different point in their walk than you are. So, Pastor, that means you should tell them how spiritual you are, right? Oh, absolutely not. It means that you show them grace and peace because they haven't been through all you've been through yet. Number three, if someone is causing division and conflict in your home, in your workplace, in your church, what do you do? Number three, you love them. I think Jesus said, love your enemy. I believe Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. So you love them, you pray for them. Number three is really hard. You get to know them. You get to know someone and their story. It makes a lot more sense. Get to know them and then finally offer support. I've learned a lot about you. How can I help? How can I pray for you? How can I come alongside of you? How can I lift you up? How can I serve you? Not how can I show that I'm so much better than you, but how can I serve? So love them, pray for them, get to know them and offer support. Number four, this is what some of you were waiting for. You confront them. Some of you are like, that's what I was doing, number one. No, go, go through the steps first. If it's still there, num number four is confront them while showing grace and seeking peace. Confront them. You cannot allow other people to steamroll you. You cannot allow other people to control you. You cannot allow other people to manipulate you. And you cannot allow, as pastors and elders in a church, you cannot allow someone to come in and cause disruption and cause division and cause conflict and ruin unity and peace. We're actually called to stand against those kind of things by confronting it. So, well, what do you do? Well, Jesus tells us what to do in Matthew 18. Somebody's causing problems, you go and tell them their, their problem between you and them alone. But what I like to do is I like to tell everybody about it first, right? I'm going to tell everybody and probably post about it on social media, and then I'm going to go talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. No, 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 no. Number one, you, Jesus says, go tell him or her his fault, you and him alone. And if they don't listen, Jesus says, you go and you get a couple of, uh, I was going to say homies, but I don't know what happened there. You go get a couple of homies, go get a couple of people. You get one or two others, and you guys lovingly approach that person again, like, hey, uh, Anthony confronted you with this, and you were like, screw you, Anthony. And so Anthony came, and he asked if we would come with him, and, and we think that there's an issue here, and we really want to serve and support you and see how we can love you through this. And Jesus says, if they're like, yeah, I want help, Jesus says, you've gained a brother. But if the person says, screw you, Anthony, screw you, Anthony's one and two friends, what do you do? Jesus says, then you tell it to the church. Now, people who like to go sin hunting, people who like to go on witch hunts, they'll be like, yeah, bring them in front of the congregation and tell them how horrible they are. No, we, we, we've done a lot of that throughout the history of mankind. It's never worked well. Telling it to the church means at that point you bring it to church leadership and then the church leadership lovingly comes and addresses and comes alongside these people. Hey, Anthony said this, you didn't listen. Anthony is two homies. They said this, you didn't listen. Now the church is involved and they say, we repent. We love you. We want, to, we want reconciliation. We want to restore. Jesus says, you've gained a brother. But if the person says, screw Anthony, his homies, and the church, 
Jesus said, you're going to have to let them go. You're going to have to let them go. You don't allow people to stir up division in God's temple. Titus 3.10, Paul says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. Most problems I have found myself in in the realm of ministry is because I have been way too slow to confront because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And ultimately, it's just because I'm insecure. How many of you, you don't like to confront people? And it's caused you a lot of heartache because you didn't confront when it was time and you thought, oh, the issue will resolve itself. Let me tell you from a lot of experience, the issue never resolves itself. You have to address issues when they arise at the workplace, in the home, in the school, in the church. They don't resolve themselves. Number five and last one as our worship team comes up is this. All of you just thought about people who've caused division in your life. All of you have just considered people who have caused conflict in your life or in a church that you were in before. And yeah, they, they're really evil people. But number five might be the most important of what to do when there is division and conflict. And we're just going to call it self-reflection. Self-reflect. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. Are you the one contributing to division? Are you allowing the enemy to use you in this way? Are you transferring past hurts? Are you the one that's actually lashing out? Are you a hurt person who's hurting people? Are you acting like an infant immature in your faith? Are you too focused on worldly things and not things of the Spirit? This one really got to me. Are you resisting your own sanctification? If you think about that, that's actually blasphemy. It's resisting the Holy Spirit. Are you resisting your own sanctification? Is your pride and is your arrogance getting in the way of peace and unity? Finally, are you building the temple of the Holy Spirit or are you tearing it down? Ask yourself, am I building the temple of the Holy Spirit? Not, not this, but this. Am I building the temple of the Holy Spirit or am I tearing it down? If at any point the answer to any of these questions is yes, and it, it will be at some point in your life, you will be the problem at one point in your life. I promise you. I will be the problem. Sometimes I'll hear people go from place to place to place or job to job to job, and I hear the same story, and it's always someone else's fault, but really it's like, well, you need some healing because you're actually the common denominator. Sometimes I'm the common denominator. Sometimes you're the common denominator. If any of these questions, if the answer is yes, if so, what do you do? You confess of that sin. Tell somebody, confess of that sin. Repent of that sin. Make right what you have made wrong. Reconcile, if at all possible, and please get help. Please get help. Get help. Well, Pastor, I don't need help. It's just me and the Lord. He's all I need. I get it. But God has chosen to use people, brothers and sisters in Christ. God has chosen to make the church a body so that members of the body can serve and help one another, and we can't actually do it by ourselves. If it's just us and Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, Involve some other people that I'm going to send your way to minister to you. So last verse we'll read. 1 Corinthians, we're going to go back to chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, the spirit of the world that causes all these conflicts, we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Friends, you and I need the Holy Spirit more than ever. As a Christian, you possess the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we need more of the Spirit. We need to walk 
in the Spirit more. We need to follow the Spirit more. We need to act in the Spirit more. We need to live out our lives in a spiritual way. And we can't do it by ourselves. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the Lord, is, as we were worshiping last night downtown, um, God put in my heart several people that would be here today to pray over and to pray for. Um, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said that there's going to be someone here tomorrow, not, not just online. If you're online, if that's you, wonderful. There's going to be someone in the house tomorrow that bitterness is holding you back from experiencing true life, that you've allowed a spirit of bitterness to overtake you. Say, Pastor, does that mean I have a demon? I'm, I don't know. I'm just saying there, there's a spirit of bitterness in your life right now. You're so bitter over something that's happened to you, and because what happened to you was so painful, you can't let it go, and you've become bitter, and your heart has become hard, and you're not open or receptive to love or relationships from others, even your own children, because you're so bitter and so hard. The Lord wants to set you free today. How many of you have ever struggled with bitterness before? God wants to free you. He wants to free you from a spirit of bitterness. The other word the Lord gave me was that there's going to be someone in the house tomorrow, someone in the church tomorrow that has a rebellious spirit, someone unwilling to submit to God's authority, unwilling to submit to authority that God has put over you at your work, in your school, in your home, and in your church. And you're walking around with a spirit, not of just division and conflict, it's causing division and conflict, but you're walking around with a spirit uh, of um, insubordination, not willing to submit to what God has called you to submit to, an unsubmissive spirit. How many of you have ever um, bucked up against authority before, like didn't want anybody to tell you what to do or come alongside of you before? You've, you've been unsubmissive. I've been that way before. And the last word that God gave me, I was looking at my notes to make sure I got it right, because it was different as the Lord was sharing with me. It was bitterness, unsubmissiveness, and then finally defiant. And I was, I was kind of asking myself, even sleeping last night as laying in bed, like, what's the difference between defiance and, and uh, unsubmission? I, but there, God said there's someone that's got a defiant spirit, just, just defiant, just defying love, defying grace, def- defying people, not, not want anybody to get close to you. You're just defiant, and, and God wants to bring you into a period of his embrace. Because I think that's the opposite of, of defiance. The opposite of defiance is God's embrace. God wants you to allow him just to embrace you. He knows you're hurt. He knows why you're defiant. He knows about all the people that have hurt you. He knows about the sexual abuse you've been through. He knows about the physical abuse that you've been through. He knows about the manipulation that you have been subjected to. He knows about the control that the enemy has had over your life. And he says, hey, I I know why you're defiant, but I want to embrace you because in me you will find what you're looking for. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and Ryan's going to sing a song and ask our assistant pastor team, our ministry directors, to come up, stand here, be ready to pray for people. But as we're being prepared to pray, come up for prayer for anything, but, but do not leave this place if those words were for you, all right? Even right now as I'm speaking, even, we're not even singing. There's no distraction right now. You can kill our lights, Abraham. You say, Pastor, I... I right now am, am walking with bitterness and I want to break free. There's, there's a bitterness that's holding me back and I'm not receiving what God wants from me and it may be causing division and conflict in my life and the Lord is speaking to me so clearly today and is, and is calling me to freedom from bitterness and you, you know that's you. Would you just come up to the front right now and, and see one of these leaders to pray for you? If you say, Pastor, that's me today. I'm, I'm wrestling with bitterness and I want freedom. 
The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Receive the freedom he has. Next, if that was you, this unsubmissive spirit, unwilling, unwilling to submit, because no one can tell you what to do. No, no one can, can come alongside of you. You're not willing to listen to your boss. You're not willing to listen to your spouse. You're not willing to listen to your parents. You're just unsubmissive. And God today wants you to submit to him. Submit to me, he says. And when you submit to me, you'll take on my yoke and my burden, which is light, and I will help you submit to those I put in charge of you. And if you'd say, Pastor, that's me today. I, I know there's areas of my life I need to submit, and I'm not. Would you come up right now and receive prayer? The bitter, the unsubmissive. And finally, number three, is this defiance. I don't know how you're acting out in defiance. I don't need to know. But defiance leads to destructive behavior. Defiance leads to sin. Defiance leads to hiding. Defiance leads to broken relationships. Defiance leads to division and conflict everywhere you go. And the Lord today says, stop defying me. I keep getting this vision of like this wild horse bucking and jumping and it can't be tamed and that's your spirit. And God says, I just want to embrace you. Quit bucking, quit jumping. Let me tame your heart. Let me embrace you. And if you have a heart that you know God wants to tame today and you're acting out in a spirit of defiance instead because you just don't know where you're going, God wants to bring you into alignment and I want you to come up and receive prayer. Don't waste any time. Come receive. Come receive. Lord Jesus, we submit this time to you. Each person here bringing before you a spirit of, of bitterness, we we claim freedom over that bitterness, God, and ask that you would release them from it in the name of Jesus Christ. God, for the spirit of unsubmissiveness, unwillingness to, to follow, to trust, to obey, Lord, free us up to follow you and to follow those you've put over us. God, for those of us wild, defiant, bucking, bronking, jumping, trying to get away, Lord, would you allow us to feel your embrace? In Jesus' name. Anybody else who needs prayer today, come fill our altars as we sing.